You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology, hosted by New Miracle. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we shed light and bring truth to emerging topics in the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Ed Etikal, VP of Professional Services and Legal Counsel at Comsolve. It's great to have you here with us today, Ed. Welcome. Thanks, Rebecca. It's great to be here. So, Ed, as you know, we only bring experts onto this show. And with this series that we have regarding cross-border stir shaken challenges we cannot afford to have voices who are not the experts so ed i can't even approach or even attempt to cover the vast background that you have for why you are the subject matter expert on stir shaken when it comes to dealing with a cross-border situation between canada and the u.s and i'm super 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 excited that we're going to focus solely on canada today which is also one of my favorite places to vacation to, uh, but uh, unique in the challenges around stir shaking. So Ed, if you would, for the audience, kind of give us a little bit of your background. Okay, well, I've been around in the telecom uh, space for, for well over 40 years, um, held positions at different uh, carriers, uh, large and small uh, across the country. I've held executive positions as VP Regulatory at AT&T Canada and uh, as VP Regulatory and VP Carrier Services uh, at Freedom Mobile and Shaw Communications. So uh, I've been involved with some of the largest um, uh, telecom uh, providers uh, in the country. Um, For the last uh, few years, I've been at Comsolve. um, And Comsolve is is an interesting uh, company. It it provides... um, a lot of the support services uh, for the Canadian telecommunications industry. Um, Comsolve has been fulfilling the role of the Canadian number administrator for almost three years now, and that's the uh, Canadian equivalent of NAMPA. So, uh, so uh, one of the group, one of my groups, is responsible for giving out CO codes and, and other point codes and and the like. Um, separate apart from this role. Um, Comsolve's professional services group has had many engagements helping smaller providers meet their regulatory obligations across a wide range of telecommunications requirements, uh, including local number portability, number resource management, interconnection, and compliance with uh, mandatory consumer safeguards. Uh, Assisting with regulatory compliance is our business. We're we're not a legal firm. We don't give out legal advice. Uh, We strictly help uh, companies meet their uh, their regulatory obligations. Um, additionally, I should mention that Comsolve recently chaired uh, a CRTC, and the CRTC is the Canadian equivalent of the FCC. Uh, we chaired a CRTC-sponsored Canadian industry sub-working group on call traceback, and uh, and, and uh, worked on helping the carriers get together and develop uh, call traceback. Uh, uh, procedures uh, and procedures between themselves. And we also co-chaired a, a Canadian sub-working group on the implementation of Sturt Shaken. And, um, and that work uh, has led directly to some implementation guidelines for the, uh, for the first phase of the implementation of Sturt Shaken in Canada, uh, which is uh, expected to uh, launch on November 30th of this year. Um, 
Also, I should mention that uh, CompSolve is offering a cloud-based Tershaken centralized signing and signature validation service to smaller providers uh, that can't justify building their own capabilities in an ever-changing environment. So, so we can we can help support them for part of the Tershaken problem uh, with uh, with a simple uh, cloud-based solution that. Uh, that takes your uh, your call signing certificate and produces the uh, the passport you embed in your SIP invite. Yep. Well, no lack of work for you. <laughs> yeah, and I met Consolve, which I met Ophir um, several years ago. I think it was in San Diego at the um, I think it was one of the Addis events. And I spoke before the group and afterwards he found me in the, the lobby area and he's like, you got to come over here and let's talk. Um, and ever since then, we've really, between Numerical and Comsolve, it's been a great relationship on just educating each other on what's happening in the U.S. versus what's happening in Canada. And we've had this um, kind of benefit to watch each country grow uh, watch each country go through the challenges that we have, even from a regulatory perspective or just the compliance level with the carriers. So, but we're not mirror images of each other. And so I think it would be really helpful uh, for this audience as, you know, the majority of them are probably focused on the U.S., what are the rules, what are the deadlines, and we forget that other countries are implementing Stir Shaken. And there might be something unique and challenging to other countries based on their infrastructure, based on how they're established from an enforcement side. So, Ed, can you just kind of give a little bit of the lay of the land in Canada as it relates to to stir shaken. Okay. Well, as I mentioned uh, before, our, our uh, regulator has mandated an initial stir shaken implementation by November 30th of this year. Um, we're behind the U.S. Uh, in terms of our launch date, um, and we're also behind uh, the U.S. in terms of, uh, of progress when it comes to implementing efficient intercarrier call traceback procedures um, as well. Um, additionally, uh, analytics and associated call labeling um, uh, is not wide, widespread uh, in, in Canada. The, the major carriers are not generally using analytics engines and are not sending uh, labels with the calls warning of spam the way they are uh, aggressively doing so. And can we pause on that just one second before you go further? Because I think it's important to note. I mean, in the U.S., we went with the approach of implementing analytics, which is essentially somewhat of an identity type of uh, solution to try to identify who's calling and then present why, and then identify who's fraud and not. And I thought it was interesting, and I, I kind of like the way that Canada took the approach. Let's not go forward with the analytics yet. Let's get an identification framework in place first, but I think they'll probably go back to analytics at some point, and, and I think it would make sense yeah. at that time. So yeah, there, there's a there's a limit limited amount of analytics happening to detect specific types of of fraud, um, but uh, and it was done um, with CRTC approval by by one particular carrier because under our Telecommunications Act, uh, it is illegal for a carrier to interfere with the content of a, of a telecommunications uh, session. So, uh, so and, and that would include blocking or, or discouraging uh, the communication. So 
the carriers have been very, very slow to, to adopt analytics engines without, uh, without regulatory blessing. But I'll make point, though, that despite that fact, there are a lot of Canadian companies who are originating calls from Canada into the U.S., and they are being impacted by the analytics. So it's not that we would say any other company in Canada is not affected by analytics because the carriers like uh, TELUS or Rogers are not implementing analytics, but they are if they're going cross-border into the U.S., then the analytics does become a problem. I just wanted to make that yeah. little point. Yeah, but but I, I think most of the analytics, though, are, are happening at the terminating end of the call. So the Canadian uh, call centers that are calling south of the border risk having their, their calls tagged as spam and, and therefore failing to reach their intended yep. audiences. Uh, and and that, that most of that activity is happening with the engines situated in, in the U.S. Um, so but, talk about but the Can- governance authority, if you would, go down to that level. Yeah. So Canada will catch up uh, because robocalling and spam calling issues including number spoofing, is as big a problem in Canada as it is in the U.S. Uh, Our regulator says it's the number one complaint they get, Mm. and I'm sure it's the same in the U.S. Uh, There's there's no reason to suspect it's less of a problem in Canada. Uh, It's just that I I think uh, attempted solutions are are a little further along in in the U.S. than than they are in Canada, reflecting a a generally more cautious uh, approach. So... In Canada, the, several of the larger carriers got together to provide some initial funding to establish a stir shaken governance authority, which was subsequently ratified by the CRTC. Uh, the governance authority in turn selected Newstar to be the policy authority and the first certificate authority. And, and as of last check, Newstar is currently the only Canadian certificate authority, but hopefully additional uh, providers may emerge. So, so that's that. That, in the first instance, is a big difference between Canada and the U.S. and may impact the ability of, uh, of, of the carriers to, to implement cross-border trust because in the U.S. you have iConnective, as the, I believe, as the governance authority, and, and there it's more open. Carriers can choose from, uh, I hear, six or seven different companies to get their, their call certificates, so there's different fee structures and, and, and price pressures. And, uh, and secondly, I, I hear there's several carriers that are their own certificate authorities. Um, so um, so it's, a, it's a much more open, competitive market in the U.S. as well. But, but I think the key takeaway is there's, there's different policy authorities and different trust routes. Uh, the, the, the trust route, Newstar has a trust route, um, a Canadian trust route, and, um, and there's an iConnective trust route. And um, so there's completely different trust chains. So that's going to cause some problems when it uh, when it comes to cross border. Um, it's it's unlikely the U.S. will accept uh, all, all Canadian certs um, and uh, just just on a blanket basis. And um, and when it if a Canadian cert arrives in the U.S., it's it's unlikely that the, the carriers will will want to or be able to go back and check. Uh, with a you know a, a Canadian um, certificate deposit um, location, uh, so um, you know there, there will be some some challenges, and that will all stem from uh, all stems from the fact that that we have different governance authorities and uh, different trust routes. And how did that governance authority start um, in Canada? How um, how's it been going? 
<laughs> well, it, it got off to a rocky start. Um, initially, uh, the governance authority decided that only carriers that had direct access to numbering resources could, could get a call certificate. So that left out all of the local VoIP providers who in Canada get their numbers from from another service provider, uh, an, another underlying uh, local exchange carrier. So the, regula the regulator had to step in and on August 5th of this year, they declared that such restrictions were not appropriate. Uh, however, we're still waiting on final eligibility rules. So, so there's gonna be a large chunk of, um, of, of VoIP providers and, and that, that could include people like Microsoft and RingCentral and 8x8. Um, but there will be a large chunk of voice over IP providers who won't have access to call sign, direct access to their own call signing certificates and won't, probably won't be able to do their own uh, call validations as well. And that's a, that's a problem. I think most of those players want to get Canadian certificates and participate. They're still waiting on the rules. So, so even though we're launching November 30th, um, for the most part, the VoIP, uh, players who, who are not uh, local exchange carriers are, are just not going to be part of the ecosystem. And I think this feeds into the fragmentation of the deployment of Surshaken. Um, again, I think I would say, and Ed, you let me know, on, on at least on the U.S. side and the members of the governance authority and the CA and the PA and all them, I don't see activities to prevent, like everyone's not acting intentionally to prevent adoption. Um, this is a whole new world for all of us, um, and we haven't structured something like this before. And so I think we start off very small, um, have that circle of trust really small, but that's not realistic. And, you know, if we trust the framework and we trust the policies, then my stance is we need to open up the door a little bit. Um, don't think that it's just only going to be a couple of companies that we should trust and that's only the carriers or certain type of carrier. If you trust your actual framework, trust the work that you actually did, um, then you won't have those fears around opening it up to like the VoIP providers. I, I think they should be able to participate. I think that's how we, the only way that we can connect all the pipes for delivery of trust. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And I'll, I, I will further note that it was the large carriers that, that resisted the, uh, uh, when, the, when the VoIP providers petitioned the regulator for relief, um, it was the large carriers that said, said no, uh, maybe sometime later, but we just don't trust these little players. And I think that, that sent the commission uh, off a little bit because some of the, some of the VoIP providers that were uh, petitioning uh, were were a lot bigger than than some of the carriers. I mean, Microsoft isn't exactly a small uh, uh, a small player. Uh, yep. So uh, good for them. <laughs> and I and I'm very proud of um, the response yeah. uh, from the CRTC. So yeah. that's great. That's great. Okay. So um, so so moving along to 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 the story in Canada. Um, the, 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 the commission supervises an industry uh, interconnection working group that was tasked with developing the, the initial stir shaken implementation guidelines. And so when the carriers were asking, well, what do we need to have implemented by November 30th? The commission said, we don't know, we're waiting and we'll see whatever the working group recommends. So you tell us, uh, you tell us the regulator uh, what, what we should expect to see on, on November 30th. So that was, it was mighty generous of them. 
And I think the, the carriers who participated in the guidelines took full advantage of the opportunity to, to carve out as much as possible from, from the required phase one implementation. So we were implementing November 30th, a, a light solution of Stir-Shaken. Uh, the requirement to implement Stir-Shaken applies to that portion of a, of a service provider's network that originates SIP traffic, transit SIP traffic, or terminates SIP traffic. And that's, uh, and that's it. And so the guidelines uh, exclude the use of Stir-Shaken uh, on a mandatory basis for all TDM calls. So nobody needs to implement a CPS solution or, or deal with the, the privacy solution uh, issues that, that that might create for TDM calls. Uh, if you originate a SIP call and you send it out on TV, TDM, you throw away the, um, the, the passport, you send the call on TDM, and, and that's it. The stir-shaken information is lost. Um, Redirected calls are, are excluded as well, as well as uh, some of the standards that are still being worked on for div passports. So if your call involves call forwarding or call transfer, uh, there, there won't be a stir-shaken uh, passport uh, that, that proceeds with, with that call. Similarly, toll-free calls uh, are, uh, won't have a, a complete stir-shaken solution and uh, and passports associated with those calls. Um, for enterprise customers, their calls will receive stir-shaken treatment to the extent that uh, their underlying provider is the provider of the numbers uh, and or the enterprise customer's phone equipment is configured so that it cannot change the calling line ID or uh, the calling line ID is, is put into the SIP invite by the carrier. So, so many of the enterprise customer calls will, will have stir-shaken passports, uh, but where, a, where an enterprise customer brings their own numbers or, or if an enterprise customer is, you know, spans all of Canada so that they have operations in Western Canada where TELUS is the main ILEC and Eastern Canada where Bell Canada is the main ILEC, um, if they get their numbers from the ILECs where they have their local offices and, and calls transport uh, their, their, their private corporate network before egress, uh, those calls probably won't have stir-shaken certificates. The, the, the underlying carrier won't, you know, generally won't be willing to produce a certificate, at least an A certificate, and, and everybody wants an A. You just keep that in mind. All your customers, uh, if you're a carrier, are going to want an A. Uh, it's just, you know, a, a thing from childhood school where you want an A, and Everyone wants an A, and an A is the only way to get a green check mark on a wireless call right now. So, um, so those enterprise customers that that have multiple sites that that's, that that are you know span connections to multiple carriers are going to have diff difficulties getting A's for uh, for their calls. And and on that enterprise note, I I think it's important to see that the challenges that we have identified through the deployment of Stir-Shaken, because we're further along, you know, in the deployment side of it, those are the same challenges. Whether you're in Canada, you're in U.S., you're in the U.K., it doesn't matter. Uh, there is going to be this enterprise challenge that has to be addressed. And then when you throw in cross-border on top of it, it just becomes really challenging. And, I, and I, I've said this from day one, and I will always continue to say it. We have the greatest opportunity to establish identity in a network where anyone can be anonymous. 
But we also, with the same approach, have the greatest opportunity to completely shut down uh, the value of this channel if we don't get it right. And so um, I think it's good that some of these scenarios are being excluded um, and that there is a little bit of a an approach of let's just lay some groundwork, which is kind of like what we saw between like AT&T and Verizon. They would just test, hey, can I send a call to your network where I've signed it? And can you accept it and render it? Um, I think you have to take those little baby steps because I know there was a ton of lessons learned. Um, and I think there's still a lot more lessons to be learned, you know, in this deployment. But I know there's one other point that's the one where it's the what happens when we don't do this right and get it wrong is related to emergency communications. So what what else is there with regards to um, the implementation that the working group uh, addressed? So, so just two other carve outs. Um, one is that, you know, resellers and, and wholesale local service providers who um, uh, will will have problems with stir shaken in the initial implementation in Canada as well, because there's no mandatory requirement for delegated certificates. And there's no mandate on the on the LEX to use an alternate trust model if delegated certificates aren't used. And of course, there's a number of alternate trust models that could be used. And, and lastly, They've decided, at least the current recommendation, is to exclude stir shaken from the ESINETs uh, in a 911 context. So uh, there are standards that are very close to, to finalization where if, if a callback from a PSAP, let's say there's a hang up, a pocket dial, or someone has a real emergency and, and has to hang up right away, or there's, there's a car crash and the call starts and then stops because of a fire or, or what have you. Um, the PSAPs generally like to do callbacks, and they don't usually like to display their phone numbers, uh, and they um, they certainly don't want these calls blocked as spam because it just triggers a lot of uh, a lot of extra work for them when they have to follow up on these these hangups. So so it, it will be very important for for these calls from the PSAP, the callbacks that come through the ESINET. To, to not be labeled as spam and to have stir shaken certificates and perhaps have a priority treatment as well, a resource priority header. Uh, but, but for now, they are, they are excluding uh, the implementation of stir shaken within the ESINET. Uh, and they're also uh, excluding the delivery of a Veristat parameter to the PSAP, which could be very useful in preventing things like uh, SWAT attacks. Uh, where, where people do mischievous uh, fake phone numbers and do mischievous calls to, to 911. So it's, that's an area that, that's going to need a lot of work. Um, there was just a caution. They didn't want to jump right into it uh, for fear of, of messing up certain things. Uh, so, you know, phase one, it's not going to happen. Does it have to happen? Absolutely. Right, right. What about from the display perspective? Has there been any uh, mandates or requirements on uh, what needs to be rendered to the consumer with this information? Well, the CRTC hasn't mandated any any display um, information, so they're only dealing with stir shaken and not what the consumer sees. So there's no mandatory requirement to, to pass a Veristat parameter to a to a cell phone, although most of the wireless carriers will will pass pass a Veristat value to, yeah. to their consumers. And, and I think we see the same thing, and I think that's what we're going to see across multiple uh, countries: is the regulators are going to stay away from the display aspect of it. I think their focus, and, and rightly so, I, I do think that yeah. they should stay away from so. that. 
I think it should be more focused on the establishment and the mandatory requirements for creating this trust model and implementing it and allowing for the exchange of the data to occur but definitely stay away from display. So I would, um, I don't know about the UK yet. We're going to be interviewing uh, some experts from that area, but um, I would like to see every country probably take that approach um, from that perspective. Um, and speaking of each country, I'm sure you have some thoughts um, as well from that on the GA side. So uh, as I mentioned before, um, each country is going to have their own certificate granting rules, their own certificate practice statements. Uh, and it will take some significant time uh, before cross-border cross trust can be implemented. Um, and so the thinking in the short term is that they would just have these international gateways and they would tag, the, tag all incoming calls at the international gateway with a, with a C-level uh, attestation. I, I'm not sure that really is going to have much of a, of a positive uh, effect um, at all because some of these trunks carry, you know, hundreds of millions of calls each month. Some of, I've seen cross-border call swap agreements involving billions of minutes uh, annually. So, um, so at the end of the day, if, if you have a bad actor who's snuck on through a carrier uh, and that carrier then hands off to a big international provider who then terminates the traffic to the US at an international gateway, yeah, you'll give it a C and then you'll identify that, that this particular phone number belongs to a bad actor. Uh, you'll try and trace it back, and that person, that that bad actor, will be gone tomorrow, or you won't be able to find who you know who they are. But you won't be able to assert um, reputational pressure on the car on the international carrier who, who delivered the call to the gateway, because that's just one call out of millions or perhaps billions of calls, and, and you're not going to terminate a major international carrier because. There's a bad actor that somewhere downstream has you know, snuck into the system. So in a, in a domestic sense, you can trace back uh, to the customer. And if you find that a lot of customers belong to a particular carrier, you can, you can put the squeeze on, on that carrier to, to better police its, its customers. But that's just not going to be realistic on these large international uh, ga uh, border gateways. So. I think there's going to have to be an alternate solution for, for people to trust uh, uh, trust these international calls. Well, Ed, uh, time flies really fast on our Tuesday Talks podcast, and uh, we might have to make this a two-part series because I know that there are more topics that I wanted to get covered. Um, so maybe we'll think about that from a two-part. But Molly, I know we have some live questions, and with the remaining minutes that we have, I'd like to turn it over to the audience questions. So, so two things. You, you need to check with the carrier who's providing you your outbound trunking and your inbound trunking to the extent you have inbound contact and make sure that that carrier will provide you uh, a Veristat indicator for your inbound calling so you can have some trust in the calling line ID. I mean, normally the call comes in, you're going to validate the customer, but, but you, uh, it, it would be helpful if you also had a Veristat value uh, to give you some, some trust. And on the outbound side, if, if you're in the business of, of, of contacting customers, you don't want your calls ignored. Uh, and so you want to make sure that your carrier is, is delivering a stir shaken passport and you want to make sure that they're, they're assigning you an A-level a trust. Um, 
where where appropriate. So so that's uh, the big thing. Now as far as the U.S., there, a lot of your traffic is going to get tagged as spam unless you find a way. And and of course uh, there are solutions, uh, but you need to find a way to to sync up with the analytics engines and the carriers that deploy them to not tra not tag your traffic as spam. And uh, there are groups, including Comsolve, who, who can actually help companies uh, with their, uh, and, and of course, uh, Numerical, who can, can help customers with their reputation management so that their traffic doesn't, uh, doesn't get tagged as spam. All right, so um, I would like to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. We hope to see you again on Tuesday, October 5th, as we continue our multi-part discussion on cross-border call delivery and Sir Shaken. Thank you very much. <laughs>